The show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Patients, docs, nurses, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we've tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Digital health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status, no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all come on, let's go. New choices, new platforms, new care models. In the healthcare of tomorrow, consumers win. But who will design it? What will it look like? And how long will it take? We're here to answer those questions with some provocative thinking about how to create the healthcare that people actually want. Ready to roll up your sleeves, look at the world a little differently, and explore the frontiers of consumer health together? Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Welcome back. I'm Jared Johnson, ready to share some more provocative thinking about building the healthcare of tomorrow. If you're just now joining us, we hope you'll follow us and check out our previous episodes, all 200 of them. We're in season seven where we're writing the consumer health playbook and answering the questions, who will design it? What will it look like? And how long will it take? So here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about the fervor over funding. Why are some doctors frustrated by the talk about digital health funding? And what does it say about attitudes in the industry? I'll talk about that. Then Dr. Bon Koo is in the house to share some provocative thinking about the creativity that's happening in medicine to provide consumers a better experience. Bon is the co-author of Health Design Thinking, which just released its second edition a few days ago. He'll dive deep into whether he thinks the pandemic has led to more human-centered design in healthcare, why he has hope for the future of medicine, and how to scale innovation. It's time to dive right in. Are you ready? Let's go. flavor of the week. If health systems and digital health companies could just get out of their own way for a second, they might really like what they see. One of the latest discussions involves a fervor over funding. Andy Michkovsky, founder of Healthcare Pizza, recently started a discussion where he shared that digital health companies constantly talking about the millions of dollars that they're raising is getting annoying to doctors. Some offered more tempered views, like it's a problem that works both ways. Dr. Benjamin Schwartz, for instance, commented that doctors have to be more open to tech But tech needs to be more understanding of the challenges and barriers to tech implementation, which was promptly followed by more one-sided posts. A doctor saying that nobody builds great tech for healthcare and a health tech entrepreneur saying, I can tell you that one of my biggest challenges is gaining access to doctors interested in building better tech. As a health tech consultant himself, Andy preempted the conversation by pointing out that nearly all of the practicing clinicians that he speaks with don't know about any of the companies that he tracks. He acknowledged that it's hard to find doctors with time to speak, but cautioned that digital health entrepreneurs should be building deep relationships with local doctors, even if it takes longer to scale. Put another way, there is a trust and knowledge gap. We frequently talk about it on this podcast between healthcare practitioners and consumers, but judging by the comments on Andy Michkovsky's thread, it also very clearly exists between some providers and some health tech innovators. What can we do about it? Well, we can start with some deep empathy, which is always a key part of the design process. And guess who's naturally positioned within their organizations and the industry at large to build trust and share knowledge? 
That's right, marketers and communicators. I'm not just talking about between them and their target customers. I'm talking about building trust and sharing knowledge with others in the industry, outside of our bubbles. A perfect place to start is acknowledging that the field of medicine has been living by a certain set of rules and guideposts for centuries. Millions of medical professionals have followed those rules and innovated within those guideposts. Health tech entrepreneurs need to acknowledge this, just like more providers could acknowledge how much better they can serve patients by being more open to new tech. But either way, the bickering and grandstanding and doubling down on a single point of view isn't productive. Another way is to be intentional about seeking out information from across the aisle. This requires that we provide communities and online forums where we respectfully learn about other parts of the ecosystem and understand how they each contribute to designing a better destination for consumers. Gee, I sure wish there was a community that talked about that. Listen, we can do this. It's time to bridge the trust and knowledge gap by employing deep empathy for everyone who's trying to innovate in healthcare, not just the ones with the same job titles or organizations as us. That's another way that we'll build the healthcare of tomorrow. And that's the flavor of the Week. All right, everyone, let's get into the flow here. Give it up for Dr. Bon Q. Can you believe he's going to be here to share a few minutes with us? Dr. Ku, he's the Assistant Dean for Health and Design at Thomas Jefferson University. A lot of you know him from his book, Health Design Thinking, which just reached its second edition, which is out now. We're going to talk into that. Uh, we're going to dig into what led up to creating a second edition of that. He's the host of the Design Lab podcast and... It's funny to even lead with that kind of stuff because uh, he's a practicing emergency medicine physician and he's the director of the Health Design Lab, which they created the first design thinking program at a medical school, if I recall correctly, from any anywhere in the country. So it's going to be a lot of fun here. And let me welcome you to the program first, Bono. Welcome to the Healthcare Wrap. Jerry, thanks for having me on. I'm a huge fan of this show. So honored to be here. So what did I miss in the bio, first and foremost? I mean, I could go on and on and on, but uh, I wanted to give you that chance. I think that captured everything. You know, our book, the second edition of Health Design Thinking uh, has dropped. So we're super excited about that. It got published, the first edition got published actually the week of the pandemic. So it's been a wild ride. And this past year, we've just been collecting stories of creativity during the pandemic. So we're proud to publish the creativity that's been going on all over the planet around designing a response to COVID-19. That's so cool. Can you tell us something that gets you out of bed in the morning? Yeah, well, that's going to be an easy question for me to answer. It is surfing and mountain biking. I'm a very active person. And even though I live here on the East Coast, it's only about an hour away from the Atlantic Ocean. So if there's a swell coming in in the Atlantic Ocean, either from a nor'easter or a big ground swell from one of these hurricanes or wind swell, I am on it super early. And like I like to be in the water at the break of dawn. And I'm also um, an avid mountain biker. So I like to get up crack of dawn and hit the trails in the morning. That's kind of like my favorite workout to do uh, during the week. I think I look at my day as this kind of blank slate that's going to get crowded as the day goes on. So each day is just like extra is a design activity for me of how can I design in a couple of activities that's going to preserve my mental health and how do I engineer my day 
that I prioritize that. And uh, each day is like, because if, if you don't prioritize these things, emails and Zoom meetings infiltrate and take over our existence. And I think a lot of us feel that. Thank you. When we get back to this thought of creativity, maybe that's our starting point. What a book tells me about somebody is that there's this intersection of passion and utility. Like you see the need to share a lot with people that can ultimately benefit them, bring some value to them, either in their day-to-day work or just their day-to-day life. And I can't wait to dig into this about some of the, the things that have been added and thought about some of those examples of creativity during the pandemic. Timing is everything, isn't it? I mean, when he said just uh, that the first edition, when that came out and what was going on in the world, it's, it's just hard to look back and, and realize that that timing it must have been crazy. Yeah. And the neat thing is so many people reached out and they used the book or saw the book as sort of a field manual for healthcare. And during the pandemic, what we needed was we need to create solutions rapidly and to implement them. So we feel that human-centered design is a perfect way to do that. So there's incredible creativity that we saw in clinicians and nurses, administrators, policymakers, because we couldn't wait tomorrow to implement a solution. It had to be done that day. And there was a lot of iteration that happened because the virus changed. And so we had to respond to this continually changing virus. And we need to protect our healthcare workers, protect our patients. And, you know, one thing I hope comes across in this book is that creativity is vitally important in the delivery of healthcare. I think we underestimate that. And the more that we can tap into our collective creativity, I think the better that we are going to be able to respond to future pandemics and also to deliver a better healthcare system. What do you feel like is the state of the state as far as healthcare and this intersection with design thinking itself? So let's start with creativity. How do we implement that or understand where that's used in healthcare today? Yeah. Well, one thing I like to start off with is what creativity is not. So there are not creative people and non-creative people. I think you know we look at it very binary in society that the creative people go into creative fields like music, the arts, uh, filmmaking, and the non-creative people go into healthcare and boring engineering fields like that. You know, I think creativity is being able to apply your imagination to something and we all do that. But the difference in healthcare is often we don't get the permission to be creative. And because of that, I think healthcare suffers because we're not applying our imagination to what would be a better future state and kind of reimagining the current state that we're in. And to couple that with design, I think what design does is helps us give us a roadmap to get to that new future state. So you're thinking very, very much a current scenario, but how it gets us to a, to a future state, it sounds like. there's There's got to be a bridge that's built there in between them. And that's something that, that literally has to be created. So there, there's part of a creative process there, it sounds like. Yeah, like healthcare is so reactive. You know, we're always putting out fires in healthcare. It's so... There are huge problems that we're facing like right now that need to be solved, which is good. It's needed. But 
rarely do we get a chance to think about what do we want the healthcare system to look like in 20 years from now and how do we get there? We need to be asking these bigger questions in healthcare. We knew there was a pandemic coming years ago, decades ago. There's books written on it, but there was not that intent to go, okay, well, how are you going to redesign or reimagine a system that's going to be able to respond to one? And I hope we learn from this pandemic is that we can't be reactionary because we have a system that was designed as a reactionary system. This is what happened. You know, we got stuck in a situation where we lacked basic things like PPE because we did not have we did not have a system that was designed to re- respond to a pandemic. Right. So, do you think the pandemic overall led to more creativity and design in healthcare? Today? I don't think it did, but I think what the pandemic exposed was a system that was truly broken and. It took a lot of creativity, ingenuity, imagination to be able to come up with solutions in real time. Okay. So the timing element, that was very clearly something that was different that we were not used to overall. I've read things you've written you know, about just the, the state of, of when you're going through a surge in the ER and there are things as literally as having patients in beds, you know, in the hallways in the ER, you know, there, there's some design and creativity challenges, like right in your face. You can't escape it. You have to figure something out. Yeah. A hundred percent. You've uh, hit on this nerve of let's never put a patient in a hallway bed ever again. If, if we could solve for that, I will be a happy man. I want that written on my gravestone during the pandemic all throughout hospitals with overcrowding, inability to load balance between hospitals that it led to patients being in hallways. And many of those patients had COVID. No one wants to be in that situation. It's dehumanizing. Let's think about the next epidemic or pandemic that's going to come. Let's design better facilities that there's ventilation and then we don't put a human on a hallway structure for days. For sure. It's just one of those things that I feel like we're going to have to keep talking about so it doesn't get lost in the shuffle of everything that's happened and, and, and is still happening. I, I definitely don't want to speak about it as if we're out of the woods at all. Yeah, There's still yeah. so much work to do. One of our greatest strengths becomes a weakness because one of our greatest strengths is the ability to be able to bootstrap. And we're always doing that in medicine and healthcare. There's a lack of resources. We have some really smart people on a problem and we're constantly bootstrapping solutions. But because of that, we don't change the system and the system remains stable. But I hope that we learn from the lessons that we have a broken public health system, a healthcare delivery system that has not been designed to respond to pandemics that we think about, we use our creativity to go, well, how can we prepare ourselves for the next pandemic? I think one of the keys of that and one of the things I've really enjoyed listening to on the Design Lab podcast is this thought of the innovation and design thinking centers of healthcare don't have to be owned by clinical or non-clinical teams. Like it's, it's everybody. These are skills. These are things that can be learned. And there's a mindset involved of you know, how can we create a solution now? How do we iterate? 
How do we co-design this thing? You know, a lot, a lot of things that just aren't necessarily baked into the day-to-day operations of healthcare. And maybe this is a perfect time to, to transition into some of the examples of creativity that either came up while updating the book or just things you've come across. Early on in the pandemic, there was a lack of PPE, specifically like N95. So Sabrina Paceman, she was a former mechanical engineer at Apple. And so she designed this DIY uh, brace that fits over a regular surgical mask and allowed a better seal uh, for that. And she open sourced this. It was on on her website. And she and her colleagues uh, created the first prototype essentially out of rubber bands. But that led to a more sophisticated prototype where by creating the seal over surgical mask, she created a low-cost solution that allowed for a mass that had higher capabilities of creating a, a tighter seal over, over your face. And, and I think this is a low-cost solution that can be implemented in many settings, especially in low-resource settings. But what I love is that you know she was not in healthcare, but she saw this need and used her kind of like design capabilities, maybe from her mechanical engineering background or her, her work at Apple to be able to come up with a solution very rapidly. Outstanding. What a perfect example here. There are these pockets happening and we've seen it more now than ever before to see that type of innovation happening. Totally, totally. And there's so many examples like that, that you know, my co-author, Ellen Lupton, who is a graphic designer, she's a curator at the Cooper Hewitt Smithsonian Museum, she spent hours interviewing people like Sabrina all over the planet and getting their stories of how they use their imagination and design to respond to COVID-19. See, I'd much rather hear that all day. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. And what you know, what what's cool is that Ellen curated an exhibit at the Cooper Hewitt Museum that's actually open up right now that shows how we responded to the pandemic. So our book, Health Design Thinking, is a companion guide to that exhibit. She did it in conjunction with a great architecture firm called Mass Design Group that's led by Michael Murphy. And it's just such a neat experience going into the museum. So Cooper Hewitt's the only museum in the country dedicated to design and seeing the history of how disease has shaped design and wonderful examples, many of them that we exhibit in our book in real life. Stay tuned for more provocative thinking after the break. Healthcare marketers juggling lots to do. Gotta keep patients healthy. Coming back to you, knowing which words will lead more patients to act is not an easy feat, as a matter of fact. Competition heating up, new players on the rise. Persado has the right words already optimized. Just plug in the content, turn it on, and your campaign blues will soon be gone. Persado provides healthcare organizations with pre-developed, pre-optimized marketing messaging focused on improving health goals and business objectives. Persado's journey-based content uses the right words proven to drive conversions among the customers that matter most. Visit persado.com to learn more. That's persado, P-E-R-S-A-D-O.com.
Healthcare is an industry where women make 80% of buying decisions and are 65% of the workforce. Yet women are notably underrepresented in industry leadership, making up approximately 30% of C-suite teams and just 13% of CEOs. The Hit Like a Girl podcast ensures that more women's voices from healthcare and health IT are heard in an effort to inform policy as well as to help more women advance within the industry. I'm the show's founder and host, Joy Rios, and I interview women leaders to amplify their work. New episodes are released weekly on Mondays and Thursdays, and you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Health Podcast Network, or wherever you tune in. To find out more, you can follow us on social media or go to hitlikeagirlpod.com. Okay, back to the flow. How do we help leaders work together and bring this creative mindset to the mainstream? Yeah, I think about this a lot. And first, you need buy-in from the top, right? You need that C-suite saying, hey, we think creativity is a vital skill in healthcare, right? I think if you ask any leader, they're going to say, yeah, we value creativity. So if you value creativity, where does it exist in the organization? Healthcare organizations are very large and they're very siloed. And we need literally a space where people can exercise their creative muscles, where people can come together and be able to co-design. So a clinician can work with an administrator who can work with someone who is at the SVP level or a manager and they could all come together in a space where they can exercise their creative muscles, be able to have the time to be able to do that. And, and that could be in the DNA of the organization that we, uh, if organization values creativity, then there needs to be that time and space for people in that organization to come together and exercise those creative muscles. If you are a floor nurse, you know, with a very busy schedule, or if you're a clinician, that your manager needs to give you a little time off to be able to work on a problem, to exercise your creative muscles. Because, you know, for those of us who work in the healthcare space, there are so many problems. You know, there are, we're literally putting out fires every day. And so much of our time, and effort goes into putting out those fires. And we don't have that ability and that time to think about, okay, how do we want our uh, intensive care unit to look like in five years? You know, How do we want our labor and delivery unit to look like in 10 years? How are we going to improve the experience of patients and clinicians on a medical surgical floor in five years from now? We don't get the time to think about that. That was my experience as well. That, that was not time that was carved out. And there had to be some level of, of understanding of what that trade-off was in terms of not being heads down on a task, putting out a fire in order to have an opportunity cost there. Yeah. And I'm not saying that, you know, you know, we give we give people, you know, 90% of the work we'd off to to solve those problems, but maybe five percent once a quarter. You know, it's you know, just a little bit of time. And I love running design workshops where we bring in a diverse stakeholder group. And even if it's for a few hours, a lot of times it's so therapeutic for all of us 
because we don't get to exercise our creative muscles in solving problems and people people love it you know they get excited when they get heard and to be able to apply their imagination to a problem in their unit for sure my mind goes to a couple different places when we start really bringing in the clinical and administrative views at the same time. And even, you know, opening it up to, to those outside of a provider setting, a health system hospital setting, mm-hmm. and start talking about digital health startups, which, you know, digital health, the, the record setting investments that are being made there, the investments don't necessarily mean those are all going to succeed, but there's a greater understanding of how digital health overall, I feel like, can be successful and can help. So mm-hmm. that ultimately leads to more choices for consumers. There's new entrants coming into the market. So it just feels like there's all sorts of, of things on the radar screen right now. I'm curious for you, like what trends or, or things happening in healthcare are you paying attention to right now? Good question. One thing that I would appreciate more is, you know, how do we improve the experience for uh, frontline providers, for the nurses who are taking care of patients uh, day in and day out, the clinicians and hospitals and clinics with very busy and overwork schedules, you know, we're applying a lot of these digital solutions on the people who care for patients. But you know, how do we not overload them and already add, and add to their their stress and burnout? Because if you have a burnout nurse or physician, they're not going to deliver good care. I don't care how many digital tools or efficiencies that that they have in their in their toolkit. If they feel burned out, they're going to give burned out care. So I think it's important that we look at the mental health of providers, of, of people taking care of patients day in and day out. And how do we create solutions that don't already add to a very busy workload? And that workload has magnified during the pandemic. There's so many nurses who have quit because the job is has been horrendous. And how do we take care of the people, of the humans who take care of the people who get sick? So I would like to see some kind of like innovation in that area. And it's hard, right? Because you know, we're seeing like a, the clinicians, the nurses, the other providers aren't necessarily the consumer, right? So they're not going to be buying these products. So how do we create incentives for companies and organizations to take care of their people? Yeah, I'm learning that we're not asking the right questions. And so the question you just asked, like, how do we incentivize that? That sounds like the right question to ask. As we start getting close here, I I wonder if we could try something that I'm not sure we've ever tried here on the show before, which is... Let's do it. I love uh, trying new things. I'm going to try like a little bit of a rapid fire section where there's a few recent episodes from Design Lab from your podcast that there's some recent guests that have all just kind of had things that they've said on these episodes that just made me stop and think. And I've wondered if I can throw out like a, a name and a title of an episode or like an excerpt from like a line from that episode that I've pulled out and just cool. see what you've thought about it. <laughs> what stood out to you from that that topic or, or that episode. So I want to start with Grace June. So Grace is the CEO of Open Style Lab. And she talked about designing for inclusivity. Mm. And great. One of the things the two of you talked about was co-design in particular mm-hmm. as a principle. So what was the most important thing about co-design, I guess, from that episode for you? Grace honors the people that she's designing for. 
and they are active participants in the design solution. So they're not passive. And a mistake is just to check off the kind of like co-design a checkbox and go, hey, you know, we got our patient stakeholder group and you know we listened to them and you know, checkbox, we're we're co-designing with patients. But what Grace does in at Open Style Lab is involve, you know, persons with disability and they are just she honors their wisdom, their insight, their expertise in the design process. And I think we could do more of that in the healthcare space and not just check off the box saying, hey, we, we included patients in this redesign of this clinical service and got their input. But you know, how do we continue to have patients in every step of the design process from, from day one to day 100? Perfect. Okay, so let me move right on to the next one here. I want to bring up Doug Powell. So like right after you recorded with him or something, like he, he's now with Expedia, VP of Design yep. Practice at Expedia Group. Super cool. I remember he, he talked about training at scale, like training these skills, design, design thinking at scale. What's important for, for people to remember about doing this at scale? Doug is a rock star. What he was able to do at IBM, you know, a huge organization, global organization, was create something like 3,000 designers in that company and kind of baking in design into the DNA of that company. You know, the work is not done yet, but when we think about how do we design at scale, I think we often get limited by our imagination of what that can look like. I, I know I'm. I myself is like that. Like, yeah, how are we going to implement human-centered design across a big healthcare system? But Doug and his team were able to do that at a global company. And he also proved the ROI of design and showed that if you have a design thinking practice in your organization and company, at the end, it's going to lead to products and services that actually make that company more money. I love it. Okay. All right. I got one more for you. Let's do it. Susanna Fox, talk about peer-to-peer health. I mean, Susanna's a rock star in representing uh, voices that have historically been underrepresented, I feel like, namely the patient voice in everything we do. What stood out from your interview with Susanna? I'm going to read this line that uh, Susanna wrote, this very provocative question. She says... What if we ask someone to be our caregiver with the same joy and ceremony as a marriage proposal? And she dives into a really intimate experience where she became a caregiver to someone who died. And so often we design, you know, we think about the beginning of life and there's a lot of, you know, we design birth. There's a lot of activity that goes on, but we don't think about how we can design our own death. Um, there is little thought to that. And that struck me because it's very practical. Like today, you could go, hey, how can I be a caregiver to someone who may not have anyone and plan a death that they want? We are all going to die, no matter what people in Silicon Valley think. And it's important to, for me, you know, I want to be able to co-design my death because I want a death that 
I don't want to die in a hospital. You know, I want to die at home. And these are tough issues that we as a society don't tackle. And I appreciate her intimacy, her her honesty, and sharing a very intimate experience that she had because she knew that it would be impactful and, and she feels so passionate about it. So I love that episode with her. It was a great one. And I really want to encourage my listeners to go check out and, and follow Design Lab if they have not yet. Uh, they're going to learn so many more examples of creativity in this process. And, and Bon, as we, as we wind up here today, I just want to thank you so much for giving us your time. Uh, I want to give us a, a chance to, to tell us anything else about the book and where people can find that and pick that up. Yeah. So the book, the second edition of Health Design Thinking is out. You could just Google Health Design Thinking and it's available at all your different favorite bookstores and please order it and then go to the exhibit next time you're in New York City at Cooper Hewitt. It's a companion guide. The book is a companion guide to the exhibit and it is just a, a rich experience. Fantastic. So glad we got to do this. I want to say that thanks again. Stay safe and best of luck in all that you're doing to help make healthcare better for consumers and better for clinicians, everyone involved. Uh, It's been a pleasure to have you on with the program today. So thrilled to be on your podcast. Love the show. Thanks, Jared. Hey, thanks again for listening. We hope you found some value in this conversation. And if you did, do us a favor and follow us using your favorite podcast app. Then tell your friends and colleagues about us. If you like what you heard, please spread the word. Healthcare App is a member of the Shift.Health Content Network. If you enjoyed this podcast, you're going to love the other shows in the Shift.Health Content Network. Go check out the latest show. In fact, it's called Hello Healthcare, hosted by Chris Hemphill. It's focused on people who are moving healthcare forward, how healthcare strategy relates to data and AI, and what you can do to create or demand a better future. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform or at Shift.Health, where all 35 podcasts and video series are free and available on demand. Until next time, keep marketing forward. Thanks, and that's a wrap.